Labor Day weekend, we are going to have our 25th anniversary celebration of our church. That's a big deal. Um, some of you have been around the, the whole time, and most of you have not. Let me encourage you, wherever you fall in that category, to come next week to our service, as we'll have an opportunity to reflect back on God's faithfulness, as we'll be hearing from uh, one of the long-standing pastors at our church, Martin McCorkle. <clears throat> And then we'll also have a time of remembrance at 2.30 in the afternoon. All that is in your bulletin on the card if you want to follow along with that for next week. But I just encourage you to come. It should be a great time. And just to see what your part may be in the next 25 years of this church. Well, what we do here on Sunday mornings, for those of you who are new, because I know there are new people here, we typically go through books of the Bible. We just start... At the beginning, and we go through to the end. We do a New Testament book, an Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. We just we carry on like that. But occasionally, we pause and look at other stuff. And recently, we've been pausing and, and, and talking about the ethos of our church. Like, what's at the heart of our church, of, of who we are and who we want to become as disciples of Jesus Christ? And these ethos... Uh, what we have, we express them in statements, and along with these statements, we actually have pictures to go along with these statements. And so I'm just going to kind of give you an overview real quick of these ethos statements. Let's start with the first one of humble orthodoxy. The next one is abiding worship, missional community, invested sojourners, and pervasive gospel. So far over the summer, we've covered humble orthodoxy and abiding worship. And this morning, we're going to cover missional community. And I've, I'm going to ask Pastor John to come up here real quick. Uh, he was the man behind shaping these images, and he does a great job of explaining them. So I'm going to ask him to explain the image behind missional community. Well, you know, one of the catalysts behind these images is, is us. We do a really good job declaring truth, um, declaring who we are, but we have a harder time expressing who we are. So we're in these pictures, we're trying to express some of the reality of who we are. And if you look at this picture, one of the first things we were trying to, to, to cat, capture was an idea of movement. Because God is a God who is on the move in the world today. And as a missional community, we want to be together and we want to be about being, moving where he is moving and moving how he is moving. So if you look at the picture, you'll see uh, the underlying, the, uh, the, 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 what's like, Underneath is a, a grid, and we just we think that rep, we want that to represent the city, wherever you live, wherever we're at here at Evanston, it's a city grid. And then on top of that, we have overlaid two squares with rounded edges, and the idea there is is this idea of movement, where we come together, we come together here on Sunday mornings, we come together in our ethos communities, we're encouraging one another, and then we're going out, we're reaching out as 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 a group. To our tribes, to the people group we're trying to reach. We're reaching out, as, reaching out as individuals where we work, where we go to school, and then we come back together. So it's this idea that we are on mission, on God's mission in our city throughout the, throughout the course of the week. So that's the idea of this one. Thank you. Thanks, John. Now, rather than this morning building an elaborate case for missional community, I'm going to get right to the point. The leadership of our church, about 30 of us over the last three or four years, have been talking about a variety of points of our ethos. Now, one of the books that we read out of many was a, a book by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. I'll put it up for you. It's called Total Church. And in this book, they contrast two different ways of 
living life, even living life within the church. And I want to share those two with you. The, the first view is, let me put the image of you up here. It's the first view is the individual living life on their own. You move on to the, to the image. The first one is the living life on their own. So this is, this is you, maybe. Uh, you're an individual. You're juggling life. You're drug, juggling your school and your family, your friends, and your, your career and your entertainment activities. And you're doing the best you can do. You're busy, people. I, I know you. You've you're, you got it all in the air. But occasionally, you just get too busy, and you've got, you got to drop a ball. And sometimes the ball, the, one of the first balls to drop, unfortunately, is church. So what do you do? You pull back, right? You pull back from community. You pull back from church because you're just... Why, I hear it all the time. I'm just so busy. I hear that all the time. I'm so busy, Pastor Jason, I cannot be involved in church. And because you've been juggling and you just can't do it anymore. So that's one view of living your life. But the alternative view that they're trying to give us, let me give you this one, is, is seeing your life, rather than the individualized juggler, to see your life in community as spokes in a wheel that you're, uh, you still have responsibilities, you still live real life, but rather than having you at the center juggling, it's the community, the community of the church that you're a part of, the body of Christ you're a part of, and you're interacting with all these other areas of your life out of community. In fact, that's the way you see your identity in this community of the body of Christ. And here's a quote from Chester and Timothy. They say, church is not another ball for me to juggle, but that which defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to my life. And I'm just going to be pretty honest with you. I'm trying to get you to move from this individualized view of juggling everything to start seeing your identity in Christ in community. That, I'm not gonna, that, that, that's where I'm going to try to move you from before we're all done today. That's kind of the direction I want you to move more into community. And so you might not say, well, what does that look like? Well, here, here's a, a possibility of what it looked like that they, uh, uh, Timis and Chester give in, in their book. Let's just say there is a, a married couple, Bob and Sue, and they have, are, have, are having twins. So they, they have twins. Now, when, if you've ever had twins before, you know it's a lot of work. But they, they have twins, and as they have twins, they're, they're at the middle juggling everything, and they're so busy, and they're so overwhelmed. And so what they decide is that we're so busy, we have to pull back from church. We'll show up occasionally on Sunday morning, but that's just about it because we're so busy juggling everything, we can't keep it up. And so that's the problem they have to figure out themselves. How do you raise and twins? So they pull back. However, in the second view of community, it's not a Bob and Sue problem. It's a, a community issue where they need to figure out together, how are we going to help Bob and Sue with these twins? And so the community figures things out, and they say, you know what, since this is our problem, not just theirs, we're going to, of course, take the meals when the babies first come, and then we're going to go over there, and we're going to help them with some baths every other day, and we're, we're going to give them some regular date nights. And so rather than Bob and Sue pulling away from community with the birth of these twins, Bob and Sue are becoming further immersed in community as the community is embracing this issue with them and surrounding them. Let me tell you this. It's that type of love in community that will get the attention of the world. Because the world's used to this individualized view of juggling everything, but when you start seeing a community 
start surrounding Bob and Sue and helping them raise their kids and love them, you will see a world that will take notice of that kind of love. And I think it's that kind of love and that kind of community that Jesus had in mind of the way that we are supposed to love one another and we're to be distinguished not by fish on our car, okay? It's okay if you have fish on your car, okay? Don't, don't rip it off just yet. But that's not supposed to be the distinguishing mark. The cross around our neck is not supposed to be the distinguishing mark. But the way that we love one another is to be the distinguishing mark where the world we will know we are Christians by our love. And it's that type of community and that kind of love we want to see this morning in the book of John. So if you wouldn't mind turning to John chapter 13. In John 13, the context, if you would remember, perhaps you've read it, is the Last Supper before Jesus dies on the cross. He has just washed his disciples' feet. Judas is off to betray him. And Jesus, it's interesting, he speaks of his coming departure. He's going to be killed on the cross, and he is going to go to heaven. And as he is leaving his disciples, he says, let me leave some marching orders for you. Let me leave something behind for you that I want you to do, how I want you to live. And now he's communicating to people, get, get this, he's communicating to people who are a diversified bunch of disciples. We have uh, fishermen, we have some zealots, we have a tax collector. He's communicating to them, and, and he's going to tell them to love one another, but that's the last thing they have in mind. Did you know the disciples are always kind of duking it out with each other, to who is the greatest, who could be first? And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't want that to characterize you. I want love to characterize you. That's what the rule I want to be in this new community So even though you're not like each other and you have issues with one another, I want love to be the rule of this community. And so let's just see this in the passage in John 13, starting in verse 34 and 35. I'll go ahead and just read it to you since it's really brief. Start at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How is this a new commandment? If you've read the Old Testament, the Old Testament says that we're supposed to love one another. For example, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how can Jesus say, I'm going to give you a new command? Like, what are you talking about? Well, see, the newness in the command is that Jesus says, I want you to love the way I have loved you. Look at it again in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, check it out. Just as, that just as is very important. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So this new command is rooted in the character of Jesus and the way that he has specifically loved his disciples. He wants them to now love in kind. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a little break here, and we're going to consider the love of Christ. We're going to consider the love of Jesus. And I'm just going to be straight up with you. This is going to be deep, and I'm not joking. It's going to be deep. And so if you don't like deep things, you just kind of want some fluffy stuff, then you cannot listen. But this is going to be deep. So try to follow along because we're going to consider the love 
of Christ. So try to track. Here we go. From all eternity, the Son is part of the Trinitarian love of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Within the Trinity, there is perfect love. Now, I know it may disappoint you, and you may have heard this in studying school or growing up, and let me just tell you, I'm just going to break it to you. You were not created because God was lonely. You were not created because he just really needed your fellowship. You were not created because he just needed that one little special person in his life. No, there was perfect fellowship and love in the Trinity, in eternity. And in this, this perfect love in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in this love, the Son was sent to the earth, the Incarnation. And while the Son was an expression of God's love to this earth, there was still love going on between the Father and the Son, even while the Son was on this earth. So, for example, we get a glimpse of this Father-Son love in John 3.35. Let me put this up for you. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So the Father loves the Son so much that he has entrusted him with the authority over all created things. Now, the Son, Jesus, also expresses love back to the Father, and the way he expresses love is through obedience. So this is John 14, 31. Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus wants the world to know that he loves the Father, and how does he do this? He obeys the Father. Another one is John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All right, here we go. So the world knows that Jesus loves the Father by the way he obeys. Now, Jesus takes, are you with me so far? Jesus takes this Trinitarian love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He takes this Trinitarian love and he, and he pours it out on you. And you're like, I can't use the word Trinitarian love. Let's, okay, not that word. Let's not use that word. Let's, he takes this God love. He takes God love and he just spills it out on you in a a variety of ways. And now he expects you to take the God love that you've received and now kind of just spill it and pour it on one another. And as this God love starts manifesting itself in our community, then the world outside the church will say, hey, they are characterized by something that's out of the ordinary, God love, and we give them a glimpse of the true God. That's just mind-blowing to me. That is just, what? That is just amazing that Jesus has loved us to such an extent to pour out God love on us, and we can receive it, and then pour it out on one another, and the world gets a glimpse of the true God through the manifestation and the talk and the living and the lives of, of us. That's just amazing. So let, let's get real specific now, okay? Jesus, how have you loved us? Let's get real specific. How has Jesus loved us? Well, earlier in the night, if you were looking at chapter 13 again, earlier in the night, Jesus showed his love for the disciples by taking on the the role of a servant and washing their feet. And this was all the lead up to his washing of sins on the cross. But when he finished washing their feet, look at verse 14. 
You can just see it's in the same chapter, verse 14. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as. Remember I told you, just as is important. Just as I have done to you. So his disciples, he clearly expected his disciples to mirror his love and to show the love that he showed them to one another, and that was through the heart of being a servant, the characteristic of being a servant, and this was true love. Now, I'm not quite sure how we take Jesus' love, being a servant to us, and we've turned it now within community, not all the time, but a lot of times, we turn it into community to say, I will love you if I have time and if I feel like it. I'll, I'll wash your feet if I have time and I feel like it. I will listen to you blab on about your problems if I have time and I feel like it. I'll actually pray for you if I have time and I feel like it. And, I'll, of course, I'll give you some money if I have time and I feel like it. So somehow, Jesus' washing feet turns an expression sometimes of love that's based upon convenience. But I want to tell you, I don't know how we can take the foot-washing scene and think that Jesus said, I want you to love one another when it's convenient for you. Because do you get what the foot-washing scene was uh, pointing to? Do you, do you even just understand the whole point of it? It was pointing to the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross, the future cleansing of sins on the cross. And that kind of love for Jesus was not a convenient kind of love. It's not like Jesus saying, I'm going to die, the sacrificial on the death for you, if it's convenient for me, and I feel like it. No, not at all. But he took the full wrath of the Father in our place out of sacrificial love. And God's wrath was turned away. And he died and was buried and rose again. And now through faith in Christ, we are forgiven. Rebellious sinners are forgiven of our sins. It's sacrificial love. So the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to is not a convenient love. It is a sacrificial love. It's a love that actually will at times hurt being convenient. We'll be out of our comfort zone. We will not have the time to do it. We'll have to make the sacrifices to pull off that kind of love. Now, I know many of you are familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he's in his own, you know, you're familiar with John 3.16. But are you familiar with 1 John 3.16? Let me put that one up there. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How about that? Isn't that good? That's love. He sacrificed for us, impacted by the gospel, now he sacrificed for others. Okay, back to our... Um, diagrams earlier. Let's put up the juggling image again. Let's put the juggling image up. So if you're juggling life and you come to church here on Sunday morning and you hear that you're supposed to sacrificially love your brothers and sisters, but this is the way you're doing life, you think, oh, well, I guess I better schedule it. And so you get out your planner or your your phone and you push in the day. I'm going to sacrificially love so-and-so. I'm going to pick them up at the airport at 10 o'clock on Friday night, and that's going to be my sacrificial love quota for the month. Because you're juggling everything. You're like, I can't keep up with life. And if I've got to sacrificially love, love people, I've got, to, I've got to schedule it. And then I can't do much of it, but I'll do one thing per month, 12 per year. That should be good. That sounds sacrificial, right? No. Let's do the next, the next image. But if you're living life in community like this, 
man, you got opportunities for sacrificial love all the time because this is your identity. This is where you're living. This is, this is your community. You're going to have opportunities all the time to sacrificially love one another and give and receive sacrificial love. But I'm still not content so far with this love one another so far. I'm not content with what I've been communicating with you so far because I still think we need to be specific. Too many times I've grown up in churches where they say, we are here to love one another. Knock on the door of any church in Evanston and say, Do you guys, are you guys into loving one another? All of them are going to say, yes, we love one another. But I don't want vague notions of love. I'm tired of talk about vague notions of love. What are you talking about when you mean you love one another? And one day, I'm going to be sending my kids out of my house, and they're going to go to way at college, and I'm going to say, I want you to find a church. Am I supposed to say, well, they say, what am I supposed to look for? I'll say, well, you know, just find a church that they have good music, and they're solid in doctrine, and they preach the word, and, and that should be enough. And that's good, but no. I am hoping for my children, and hopefully for your children, that we're actually modeling something here that we want them to look for later. Because I hate to break it to you, your kids are not going to go to this church the rest of your life. They, are, they will go away, and they will look for another church when they go and live their lives. What are they supposed to look for? Hopefully, we are modeling a type of love here, rooted in sound doctrine, that they'll look for later. So let's get as specific as we can about how God is calling us to love one another. We could spend the next week talking about this. I'm trying to break it down to something really, really simple. And I'm going to try to make every point I'm about to make here over the next four points start with the letter C. I do not know why, but I thought I'd make it easy for you. Start with the letter C. It could start with another letter, but it's just going to be C's. And there could be 20 C's, but I only picked four, all right, because we don't have a lot of time. These are specific ways that in community we can love one another sacrificially. Now, if you're not cool with specifics, you just like vague notions of love, then go somewhere else. We're talking specific ways we can love one another within this body of Christ. So here we go. C number one, comfort one another. I'm, I'm telling you, whether you think it or not, every single one of you are going to have problems in your life. You're going to go through hard times, no matter what. You will go through hard times. And you can be the one at the center juggling everything and dealing with it on your own. Or you can find comfort in community. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Who, who is the ultimate burden bearer? Jesus, he bore our sins, and now he's calling us to bear one another and our, and our problems. Now, in our church community, we have a lot of problems. You have a lot of problems. I have a lot of problems. But there are actually reoccurring problems that are consistent within our church over the years. I could almost make a top ten list of the reoccurring problems that we experience in our church and in your own personal lives. Not, not sin issues, just problems that keep coming up, a consistent themes. And I would say near the top of the list that I've seen a reoccurring struggle happen over the years is, is a struggle with young couples, because we're a young church. I see a lot of young married couples really struggling with, with, with having children, with infertility. And it's such a, 
a painful, painful time for the man and the woman. They don't know what to do. They don't know what's going on. They're crying out to God, and there's just a lot of pain and suffering that goes along with, 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 with that struggle. Now, if you have the individual at the center, that means the individual at the center is just trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. And, and often what happens if you struggle with this, it, it turns into a, you're almost like a silent sufferer. You suffer in silence. You take it into your different work and spaces, but you don't really talk about it much. And when you're trying to figure things out, maybe you'll look for advice on the Internet or you'll go seek other things out, but you're not quite sure what to do. But if you have community at the center, then the community says, you know what? This is not your struggle. This is our struggle. We're going to embrace you. We're going to love you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to advise you. And in this community, in this church, there are people who have struggled with this over the years. And as they've moved through that season, they walk alongside of couples that are going through that during that season of life. In fact, we have people in our church who can advise you through this season of what to think ethically, what to, how to move this direction, move in that direction. But it's a community where we're going to say, you know what? You don't suffer in silence. You don't suffer over here. We're going to embrace you, and we're going to bear this burden with you as Christ has borne our burdens. And you know what? The world will take notice where we say, in this church, you will not suffer in silence. We will love you. In this church, we will walk with you. In this church, we will be with you, no matter what you're going through problem-wise. So we want to comfort one another. And the world will take notice of that kind of love. The second C I want to give you is counsel one another. Counsel one another. Our ultimate advisor is Jesus Christ. We have his wisdom in the word. This fall, we're going to go through the whole book of Proverbs, the wisdom of God. And Jesus is the ultimate wisdom. We have the counselor, the great ultimate counselor, the Holy Spirit living in us. And God has poured out wisdom upon us. And as we have his wisdom through his word, led by his spirit, we now give wisdom to one another. We counsel one another. This is a very interesting church. I'm sure you know that if you go here. Many people in here are trying to figure out what to do next. Chances are right now, 50% of the people that are sitting here right now are trying to figure out what they're going to do next in life. Maybe it's a relationship decision. You're trying to make a decision on location, change, move, career. I don't know what it is. But you're trying to figure out, what am I going to do next? And as you make these decisions, you need to make them within community. Don't feel like you're just an isolated person who's got to make decisions all on your own. You can make these decisions in community. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a very helpful and effective and biblical way to make decisions. Next week, I told you we're celebrating this 25th anniversary. There are people that have been in our church over the last 25 years that are now spread throughout the world. And some of them were here for maybe six months, a year, two years, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight. But one thing you can almost guarantee, and maybe if you come back next week to this 25th center celebration, you can ask them. But most of the people, while they're here at our church, it just seems to be a unique time in their lives. They are making massive decisions. They're making decisions whether they're going to take this job, move here, marry, not marry. Some are making decisions when they're going to have kids, whether they're going to adopt get baptized, start a business. A variety of decisions are made during this season of life. And one of the biggest encouragements I hope for you is to see that those people over the last 25 years have made a lot of those decisions in community where they're seeking the counsel of other people. 
My brothers and sisters, if you're trying to make big decisions right now and you're trying to figure things out, don't waste community. Don't try to be this individual trying to make all these decisions. You can just come in community and say, help me figure this out. And there will be people older than you, younger than you, that will give you wisdom and counsel. We're here to counsel one another. Well, the next third C is the one that we're all excited about. Confront one another. Confront one another. And, 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 all, and, and you know, like I said, a lot of churches talk about love, but I've, I'm afraid that some of these lovey-dovey churches, they, live out, they, they, they leave out this confront one another. This, you know, but we, how did you become a Christian? Well, God confronted you by the power of your Holy Spirit, by his Holy Spirit brought conviction of sin. You repent, you believe in him, and now you're walking with Jesus. And I hate to break it to you now, but now that you're a believer, you're not always going to be the wisest person in the world. You're not always going to make the right decisions. Just sometimes you're going to get distracted. You're going to be a fool, go down the wrong path. And you need people to come up to you and say, hey, you are being a knucklehead. And just to tell you the truth and speak truth to you in your life. And that's very biblical. For example, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Another part of the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. My brothers and sisters, when we see something that's not right in each other's lives, we need to graciously and kindly go up and say, hey, what's going on? I see you're kind of distracted here. I see you're off here. I see in some patterns of life that are not very wise. We we speak truth to one another. And that's sacrificial love because if you confront someone, they may attack you back. But because we love them, we move out, we speak the truth, and we do it different than the world does. We do it with grace, we do it with the gospel, we do it with mercy, we do it with kindness. And we do it in the sense where we want the person to actually follow Jesus, to walk in the truth. And so we're going to confront them and confront them and speak the truth in love. And I think this is a healthy community to do that. And I see that happening. Not in an arrogant, boastful, proud way, but in a gracious, kind way. Let's, let's keep that up. And the last C is a fun one. It's champion one another. Champion one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We want to be a church that is for one another, that encourages one another that speaks well one another, that you're, you're not trying to tear me down. I'm not trying to tear you down. In fact, I'm going to speak well of you behind your back. I'm going to say good things about you behind your back. I want you to say good things about me behind my back. I want you to have my best interest in mind. I want you not trying to tear me down. I want you to actually advocate for me. I want to advocate for you. I want you to move ahead. I want you to grow. I want the best things for you. I was reading this pastor this week. He was kind of saying that he doesn't, he doesn't like going into work after Sundays. He goes to work on Monday morning, and what he gets on Monday morning is just a bum rush of emails telling him first how terrible his sermon was, questioning some things in his sermon, and then some other. Just, it sounded so negative, and I just thought, wow, I would hate to be part of that community. I mean, churches are always going to have problems. They're always going to have some issues. I understand that. But wouldn't it be great to say, you know what, I'm for you you're for me. Let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up. Let's advocate for one another. And to do that with each other, that will get the attention of the world. And and like I said, we could continue on with a variety of C's or ways that we can love one another. But this type of community is what will distinguish us as Christians. And Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We talk about missional community, and often we mean let's go out and evangelize. Let's go out and, and love people. Let's go out and bring justice where there's not justice. Let's go out and spread the gospel. But one of the ways that we can live in missional community that impacts the world is by the way we love each other. It's this internal dynamic that has this outward testimony where this Christian community here has this distinct God love that shows the world what God is like, the true love of God. As we are counseling one another, confronting one another, and we are championing one another, and that we are comforting one another, we are showing this true love. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to take hard work. You're not going to just have a little sermon here. You go, oh, yeah, great. Now we're going to go love one another. It will take hard work that will be sacrificial. At times, it will be very painful. But it's going to be a legitimate love that the world will say that is very unique. I take notice of that. Let me just give you something I was reflecting back on yesterday. Yes, yesterday, uh, two of my children, my 13-year-old boy and my 8-year-old daughter, uh, went to a, a rummage cell at a church. And while they were at this rummage cell at this church, my, my son, my 13-year-old son, calls me and says, Dad, uh, they, rode, they rode their bikes there, okay? So he called me and said, Dad, I, I found a riding lawnmower that they're actually, they're giving it away free. And I think, well, that's exactly what we need because my, uh, my front yard, I think, is 10 feet by 10 feet. So a riding lawnmower <laughs> would be perfect for that. And so when I, when I get calls of things I don't want to deal with, I said, hey, call your mom. <laughs> so she was out and about, and she gets there with her vehicle, and she's like, it ain't, it's not going to fit. You've got to bring the beast, the big old 15-passenger van. And yeah. So I bring my 15-passenger van, and we're trying to load this beast, this mower, and, and we can't even pick it up. And I said, like a good father, I said, son, I can't help you. I can't help you. But if you really want this mower, you can push it all the way home. <laughs> I'm a great dad. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> I, I got things to do, but if you want to push it home, it's, and, and it, was, it was well over a mile from our home. And, and so uh, my eight-year-old daughter, I said, yeah, she can steer. She can just sit there and steer. So my son pushed my eight-year-old daughter all the way home. Here's a picture of them. Let's show a little picture of them. Uh, so, isn't that great? They just did that yesterday. Now, now get this. It, it was hot. That's a lot. That thing is heavy. That's a lot of work. But while he's pushing her home, people are like, oh, wow, look at that. People, cars are driving by. Whoa, look at that. I mean, that's, this is the city. You don't see that every day. <laughs> wow. And so they were, they were very fascinated by this, this unique event. And, and I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, as we love one another, it's going to be hard work. We're going to do things we do not want to do. I do not want to push them more. I don't not want to love you this way. I do not want to take this out. This means we don't want to do. But I'm telling you, if we love each other with this sacrificial love, this will be like this unique expression where the world will go, that is something going on there. That's something really unique that stands out. And it'll be fascinating. They will know we are Christians by our love. It's going to take work by God's grace. So what does this look like at our church? Okay, you're in community at Evanston Bible Fellowship. What does it look like? And I'm going to be really brief here by just telling you two things. It's organized and it's organic. 
If you come from a church that has programs for absolutely everything and you want all your community organized, I'm sorry, you're not going to get it here. But we do have something organized, and it's something we call our ethos communities. And in our ethos communities, we live out our ethos. Love one another. Some of us have meals together. We get in the Bible. We study the Bible. We pray together, and we seek to break out of our comfort zone and actually serve people within our community with the gospel. But it's not just organized. It's also organic. This is the piece that some of us have, have trouble with. We're okay with the organized program thing, but it's the organic piece that's difficult. But it's that organic piece that I think where the, the love really takes root, you know, it really kind of comes to life. It's where we're in each other's lives. We're having meals together. We're stopping off at each other's houses. We're in accountability. We're kind of living life in the community. And what I, I want to really encourage you and challenge you with, and let me give you the images one last time, is to move away from this image of juggling life on your own, to move away from that, because community often gets left out, and start moving toward the next image where you are in community and you're living life in community. And so if you're not in an ethos community, I want to encourage you to get in one. And if you are in an ethos community, I want to encourage you to break out and start living lives with one another, sharing some meals together. I mean, most of you walked here this morning. You can probably walk to each other's uh, places and be in each other's lives. Let me just encourage you to, to break out. Because as we start to express this God love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak volumes to the world of who God is and who his son is, who he has sent to express his love in the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you have loved us. The love in the Trinity has been expressed in the Father sending the Son and the Son dying on the cross for our sins and the Spirit convicting us and bringing us to faith in Christ. And we know that sometimes intellectually, but I just ask that we cut to our hearts and give us joy. And this joy we have in the gospel would actually spill over to one another. May this not just be a church that's known for good doctrine, but is known for the way we love one another or in each other's lives. And Lord, for those who are actually suffering here this morning, they have a, they have a variety of problems, may they be open with their brothers and sisters, open of what's going on, and may we comfort them and encourage them. And for those of you here who are trying to make decisions trying to figure out what's next. May they be open about needing help in the decision process, and may we counsel them and encourage them. And for those in here who are in sin, who are distracted, may they be open about their sin so that we can lovingly confront them with the gospel and give them hope of change. And may we continue to champion one another, to build one another up, to advocate for one another, to love one another, to not be against one another, but to be full of grace and truth. And, Lord, I just ask that this community, this missional community here, would impact the world by our love for one another and our truth-speaking of the gospel. May significant things happen within our community and within our city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.